past couple of years have been hard, haven't they? Uh, been so challenging. We've all had to make adjustments, and and sometimes it's, it's so funny. Sometimes uh, this last couple of years, it's felt like almost like this dark cloud just kind of descended uh, on the world, and uh, we were all trying to find our way forward. and And one of the one of the big uh, outbreaks of that or outshoots of that has been just discouragement. You know, people, a lot of people have kind of moved into depression. A lot of people would say, you know, this has just been the most discouraging time I can remember. In fact, I was reading some st- statistics a week and a half ago about how COVID has impacted the different industries. And, I mean, you watch the news. You see this stuff. Uh, people who are in the healthcare industry, you know, all that they have gone through with all the adjustments and changes and the long hours that they've had to work and how many of them uh, have just left their jobs because they just can't deal with the, the discouragement of it all. Now, what blew me away was I, I know we have a lot of teachers you know, here in the church, people that are in education. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, but last year, if you can imagine this, last year over a half a million teachers left their jobs. Half a million in our country left their jobs just because uh, the, you know, the, the discouragement of you know, everything being up and down and back and forth and you're in class and you're online. And, and you know, these jobs that these folks have, I mean, they're hard on their best days. Uh, and yet you add all this other stuff in, it, it's just been incredibly discouraging. And, and I know that for us, a lot of us here, you know, we've had this. You know, we've gone through stuff in our families, in, in our jobs, in, in our personal walk. Um, discouragement has seemed like this cloud that's just settled in everywhere. But, but here's the, the, what I want to speak to today. I believe that we serve a God who can help us win over discouragement. Now, I'm in this series. I'm kicking it off today called In It to Win It because here's my belief. I believe God has created us and sent his son to us so that we can live uh, victorious lives. I believe that God wants to empower us to live above these things that we have to deal with. So beginning today and over the next several weeks, I'm going to talk about some of these topics that every single one of us in this room wrestle with at one time or another. And I want to talk about how do we really lay hold of God with both hands of faith and really allow him to help us overcome. Now, come on, it's just us. It's church, it's Sunday morning, great place to kind of open your heart and, and confess. How many of you would be honest enough to admit during the course of this last year, you've had to battle discouragement from time to time? Oh, yeah. yeah. And how many of you could say that even right now, you are walking with someone who's very discouraged? Anybody? Yeah. Now, and so what do you do? How do you, how do you really help overcome that? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. If you want to take your sermon outline out of your worship folder, you can track along with me. I want to look at a passage of Scripture that I think is one of the most insightful and encouraging passages of Scripture that you, can, that you can read. They're the words of Jesus found in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Read it out loud with me, would you? I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Now stop for a second. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this so that you can have what? Say that word again. Peace. This is the point that Jesus wants to make. I, he's, in other words, these things he's going to say, he said, I want you to know, in spite of everything that's going on, how you can hold on to peace in your inmost being. Keep reading with me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome 
the world. Now, I, I love this passage of Scripture because Jesus is so honest. You know, he doesn't say that, that we're exempt or, you know, that everything's going to be okay. He says, you know what, in this world, you're going to have trials and sorrows, but take heart. Why? Because I've overcome the world, and that Jesus lives in us. That makes us overcomers, too. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about how we think about discouragement, and when I, talk, I want to talk about what we can do about discouragement. Are you ready? Here we go. I, I put, first off, here, here's where I want to begin. I want to talk about how we think, and here's my challenge to you. We really need to develop a healthy theology about trials and troubles. We really need to develop a healthy theology about trials and troubles. Now, let me frame it this way. Does anybody know what causes uh, marital stress? What's the greatest cause of marital stress when two people get married? Don't you say the husband either. Don't, don't you dare say that. Anybody know? Yeah, false expectations. False expectations. It, it, what happens is when, when you have this idea in your mind of what it's going to be like, and then you get married and you find out it's not exactly like it. Come on, it's just us. How many of you found out that marriage wasn't quite what you thought it would be? Yeah, somebody's got both arms and a leg up back there. Yeah, 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 yeah. My wife down here going, yeah, I sure did. Yeah. Well, and it's true, didn't you? I mean, come on, guys. You know, we get married, and in our mind, we're thinking, well, here's this woman. She's going to roll out of bed every morning at 6 o'clock, fix us a great breakfast, have it on the table for us when we get out there, you know, have our clothes all laid out for us, and we're going to be able to eat and get dressed, and, you know, she's going to send us off to, with a kiss and a great lunch for work. You know, we're going to come in, and she's going to be all decked out and meet us at the door with it now. I don't know what world that happens in, but it's not most of us, you know. And, and, the, and, and ladies, you know, we're thinking about this guy who, you know, he was always bringing us candy and jewelry and flowers when we were courting. And, and we think, wow, that's just going to continue every week for the rest of our lives. And you find out about seven minutes after the wedding, you know, it stops. Well, and we have all these expectations. Now, the reason that's so important, because it's the same thing in our journey of faith. What causes problems, the biggest problems for a lot of us, is this false theology that we have about how life is going to be and how God is going to be. And as long as we believe this false theology, we, we set ourselves up for disappointment, and it really opens the door for discouragement. In fact, I put this statement on your outline. Just think about this with me. What you believe about your troubles will determine how you respond to them. I'm going to unpack that for you. What you believe about your troubles will determine how you respond to them. In other words, think this thought with me. Your problem is not the problem. How you think about your problem is the problem. Let me say that again. Your problem is not the problem. How you think about your problem is really the problem. You see, what happens to us is when we have this false theology, we, we don't know what to do when troubles come our way. There are, there are those of us who believe troubles will never happen to us. You know, if I just accept Jesus, then I get, I get an escape clause and problems don't happen and discouragement doesn't come and relationships are fine and everything is fixed. And what you do find, find it is even though you have Christ in your heart, you live in a broken world on a fallen planet. 
And there are all kinds. That's why Jesus said, he's talking to his disciples. In this world, you will have troubles. How many of you have found that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I want to give you a couple thoughts. I, I tried to sit down and think about what are some of the, the false thinking that we have and what is really the true theology that we need to know? And I'm going to give you three pieces of true theology. You ready? Here's the first one. Everybody has them. Everybody has trials and troubles. Everybody has them. Okay, come on. Just us. Survey. How many of you through the course of your life would say, yes, I have had some trials and troubles? Yeah, everybody but the liars. Yeah, you all have. Everybody has. It's happened. Look, look at what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Read it with me. He says, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to, to who? Everyone. We all deal with it. Now, I know your problems may not be my problems, and you may not feel like you have, you may feel like you have more. Now, can we just agree, life is not fair. It's not fair. There are some of us who have less troubles, and there are some of us who have more troubles, and they're not equally distributed. That's just the way that life is, and yet somehow we've got to, we've got to just accept the fact that, you know what, everybody has them. I'm going to get my fair share. I think, I think sometimes we look at, we look at life, and we, we, we get out of, out of balance because we see people whose life is so much better. In fact, let me throw this picture up on the screen. This, you'll, you'll love this. This guy's name is Mike Luciano. He's from Altoona, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, just uh, two weeks ago, he won the lottery. And um, you know how many few people win the lottery? You, you get this? And so he's a really lucky guy, right? Yeah. He's won the lottery four times now. Now, how many of you go, that's not fair? That's not fair. Yeah, that's not fair. Somebody wins four times. I've never won at all. Of course, I got to play to win. But you know, this guy's just got. You know, he's he's won four times. And 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 you go, you go look at that, and you go, how come? How come I play? You know, people say I play every time and every day, and I've never won. And this guy wins. It's just it's just the way life is. Sometimes people hit the lottery more than you. That's just the way it is. But throw that next picture up on the screen. You may not be this guy either. Anybody know who that is? His name is Roy Sullivan. Roy works for the uh, Parks Department in Virginia, or did work for the Parks Department years ago in, 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 in Virginia. He's passed away now. But um, Roy had the pleasure of being struck by lightning and surviving. Now, how many of you would love to have that kind of luck? <laughs> struck by, look at me. He was struck by lightning seven times. Are you getting this? Seven times. Over the course of about 20 years, he was struck by lightning seven different times. He said that the first time he was struck, there was, he was up in, a, in, a, in one of those fire, what they call fire towers in, in the woods, and, uh, and lightning, the storm happened, and he tried to get out, and he got out of the tower. When he got out of the tower, then he got struck by lightning. You know, the way it goes. And he said when he got struck by lightning, the lightning went through his body and blew his toenail out. That's great. Second time he got struck by lightning, he said it burned his, his, eye, his eye, uh, what do you call that, eyebrows off. Burned his eye, eyebrows completely off. And then he got struck four more times. The last time, I thought, I love this, the last time he got struck by lightning, I think it was in 1970, the last time he got struck by lightning, it set his hair on fire. Now, at what point do you go, I don't think other people are getting this kind of you know, this kind of treatment. I, I don't think everybody's getting it. Well, look at me. I just want you to hear my heart. Some people have it better. Some people have it worse. But you know what? Everybody's got troubles. 
The reason this is so important, I guarantee you, there are some of us, whenever we lose our job or we get some kind of illness or something goes wrong in a relationship, here's what we say, why me? Why me? And I can answer that question for you. Because you're here on earth. And here on earth, you will have troubles. Everybody's got them. Second thought I want to give you is that's a piece of true theology is, is to remember this, that they are a part of life and not a curse from God. Troubles are a part of life and not a curse from God. That's why Jesus said, here on earth you will have troubles. And he's not saying, and the reason this is so important is because how often when troubles come our way, we go, God, what are you doing to me? I'll get people who, who call me or come, want to get set up an appointment, want to come see me and say, what, why is God doing this to me? Look at me. God's not doing this to you. Life is doing this to you. You live in a fallen planet. There are going to be problems, going to be disease, going to be struggles. They're going to happen to everyone. They're, it's not like God wakes up in the morning and goes, hey, who do I want to mess with today? You know? You know, it's not like he's, going to, he's worrying about whose life he can make miserable. God doesn't operate that way. In fact, here's the great news. God will come alongside of you when life hits you. God will walk with you through it. Amen. And sometimes I, you know, I get people who say, Pastor Steve, what, what did I do wrong? Nothing. It's not about being a bad person. In fact, you know, Apostle Paul was one of the greatest men that ever lived and had a great conversion experience. Spirit of God filled him, and you know, he wrote almost half of our New Testament. I mean, he, he's done a lot of great stuff. Can, can, well, I want you to listen for just a moment about Paul's life after Christ, after Christ came into his life. Listen to what Paul, how Paul describes his journey. He says, five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That means he was hit with rocks. Okay. Some of you will get that later. <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without not eating even having enough clothing to keep me warm. And you thought you had a bad week. Paul was one of the most godly men that ever lived. And you know what? He had his share of troubles too. Look at me. God is not out to get you. God is out to help you. These problems and troubles, they come from life, not from God. And let me give you another thought. In spite of all these trials and troubles we have, look at me, church, we can overcome them. We can overcome them. And that's how I want to change your thinking about them. Not, not that they're not going to come their way, your way, they are. But I believe with all of my heart that in the midst of all you're going through, God can give you what you need to overcome these difficulties. I love, again, Romans 8, 37, where, where Paul writes this. Read it with me. The one who loves us gives us an overwhelming victory in all of these difficulties. 
There, there were two guys in early December this last year that were in uh, Southern California hiking up in the mountains uh, uh, close to Mount Baldy. And uh, they had gotten a lot of snow in the mountains. The trails were very treacherous. But these guys decided they were fairly young, so they decided they were going to hike anyway. And they're, they're walking along this trail that's kind of up there a little bit. And it's very icy and it's very slippery. And Matthew all of a sudden slips and starts to fall off of the trail. And his buddy, Dusan, tries to grab him. And both of them go tumbling off the side. And they fall like 150 feet, you know, down the side of this, this, this cliff and ravine where they were at. And uh, they fell. Matthew slams into a tree and breaks a couple of bones. He's really hurt. Dusan ends up in the snow. He's shaken up, but he's not, um, he's not injured. And as they kind of get their senses and they're talking back and forth, Dusan says, Matthew, are you okay? And Matthew's moaning, no, I'm not. I'm hurt. I broke, some, I broke something. And uh, they're trying to figure out how to get out. They realize both of them lost their cell phones on the fall. And so now here they are, stuck in the snow, 150 feet off the trail, no way out. And they're like, this is hopeless. And Dusan figures that he's got to, I've, I've got to help get out of here and I've got to figure out a way. And he finds a, a, a limb that he can grab hold of and he pulls it and he's trying to get himself up in this deep snow. And when he sticks the limb in the snow, it hits something and he reaches in the snow and believe it or not, he finds a cell phone, not his cell phone, a random cell phone laying in the snow right where he was at. And he picks it up and he looks at it and it, the, the battery's almost gone, but not quite. And so he pops it open, he hits 911, he calls the rescuers, they, he tells them where they are. <coughs> and so then he, he, they, 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 they wait and the rescuers come. <coughs> what was crazy was they were able to get out because they found this random cell phone in the snow. That cell phone was dropped there by a guy who three days earlier had fallen at that very same place on that very same trail and that they had to rescue out. It was just crazy. Now, you can call that what a coincidence. Or you can call that divine intervention. Now, I just want you to get this. Sometimes we're like Matthew and Dusan. We're laying down at the bottom of a ravine. In our mind, we think there's no way out. But here's what I want to tell you. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Amen? You can overcome whatever it is you're facing. Now, that's how I want you to think. Now, let me turn a corner and let me give you some stuff that we can do. Here's what, some things I want you to hold on to. You ready? Here we go. When the waves of discouragement come, stand on the rock. When the waves of discouragement come, stand on the rock. I love Psalm 40 and verse 2. Would you read it out loud with me? He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. I love that. He gave me a firm place to stand. Here's what I put. I put this in your notes. You can't always stop discouragement from coming, but you don't have to let it drag you to the bottom. 
In other words, bad stuff's going to happen. Trouble is going to come. Problems are going to arise. But you know what? That wave of discouragement, it might hit you. And in that moment, when that discouragement hits you, you've got to decide one of two things. You've got to decide, am I going to try to stand on the rock that God has provided for me? Or am I just going to wallow in this and let it take me all the way to the bottom? Now, I want to give you three rocks you can stand on. You ready? Stand on the rock of God's presence. Stand on the rock of God's presence. Passage of scripture from James chapter four and verse eight. Would you read it out loud? Come close to God and God will come close to you. Now here's why this is so important. Many of us, when life happens, when things go crazy, when we run into problems, when stuff you know, goes on, so for many of us, that's the moment when we, get, we let discouragement take over. And instead of running to God, we run away from God. We, we pull away. We, we let discouragement just kind of take us to the bottom. And, we, and so we say, you know what? I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like you know, being around my small group. And what we do, we just wallow in that and we let it take it. But what happens is we need to do what sometimes doesn't, doesn't feel like we want to do. And that is instead of walking away from God, we need to run to God. There is power in the presence of God. Amen. There's power in being in the presence of God. I can't tell you through the years how many people I've talked to out in the lobby after a service who will say to me something along the lines of, you know what, Pastor Steve, when I got up this morning, I really didn't want to come to church. I was tired. I had a bad week. But you know what? I decided to go anyway, and I am so glad I came. Run to the presence of God. You never know what God might do when you run to him. Great story. Throw that picture up on the screen. That's Greg Thomas. Uh, Greg lives up in uh, Minnesota. Back in um, 2011, uh, late 2011, early 2012, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer uh, in his head and in his neck. It was stage four. It was uh, inoperable. And when his family went with him to, to see the doctor, the doctor basically said, you need to go ahead and prepare the funeral because there's, there's nothing we can do. And so they left the family with that. Now, you get that kind of news, you got a choice. You can wallow in that or you can decide to live whatever days God gives you. Does that make sense? And Greg decided he wanted to live. And so every day he said he would get up and he would get his dog and they would go for a walk. And he would thank God for the things that God had done in his life. And he, he found a little church there in this small town in, in Minnesota that was kind of in poor condition. And he saw this little church building and he, he decided, you know, he wanted to go inside and, uh, and, and just kind of sit in a little sanctuary place and have some time with God. But the doors were locked, and he, he found out that the, the, the church really wasn't being used anymore. It was kind of a, an old heritage kind of thing, but it was really in bad condition. Throw that picture up on the screen. Um, you can see that it was really, they kind of let it go. And he was sitting on the steps one day praying, and he had this thought. He goes, I think I want to refurbish this church. 
He had done painting and refurbishing stuff like that before. And, and so he found the committee that actually owned this, this foundation that actually owned this church building. And he said, here's the deal. I've got terminal cancer, but I want a project. Uh, if you will buy the materials, I'll repaint the church and, and, and do all of this. And so he did. He started, started scraping. Throw that next picture up on the screen. He started scraping away, and he started, he started working on this church. And around town, word got out about what he was doing. And people thought this was just the coolest thing. This guy with the terminal cancers, you know, refurbishing. And Greg said, every day that I went to the church to try to do this work, he said, as I prayed and as I worked, he said, I just felt better. I just felt better. And so he scraped and painted and money started coming in. In fact, so much money came in for the refurbishing project. They said, hey, you want to do the inside as well, you know? And so Greg, Greg kept working, kept working, kept working until finally he had the outside done. Throw that next picture up on the screen. You can see him and his dog sitting there now in front of this church that have been completely, completely redone. But here, here, here was the amazing thing. During that first year, while he was working on the outside of that, he went in for one of his doctor's visits. And the doctors examined him and then re-examined him and then re-examined him again. And they said, Greg, we don't understand this, but your cancer has gone into remission. And Greg says, what did that mean? He said, it means, dude, we don't know how long you've got. So Greg continued, and he finished the outside, he finished the inside, and Greg continued to live for seven more years until the cancer returned. And when the cancer returned, people said, do you think God's going to extend your life again? And Greg said, you know what? I don't know what God's going to do, but here's what I do know. He's already given me a gift I could never repay. There is power in being in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. The second rock that I want to give you to stand on is to stand on the rock of God's promises. Stand on the rock of God's promises. I love this so much. Psalm 91, verse 4. Read it with me, church. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. One of the reasons we make such a big deal about getting into the Word of God, why we put those Bibles in the pews and say, those are our gift for you. If you need a Bible, take one. We want you to get the, the Word of God into you. Why? Because these promises are so powerful. Here's what I can, here, here's what I can tell you. Somewhere along the way, you're going to need the promises of God. And you don't want to wait till you get there to try to find out what they are. When you learn the promises of God, as you store those away in your heart and mind, when you hit these difficult times, God gives you those promises as you need them. They are your armor. They are your protection. They are how God covers your heart and gives you strength. Um, you know, time and time again, as I, as I talk to people who are going through difficult places, it's so interesting to me the difference between people who understand this and people who don't. Because people who get this, when you ask them how they're doing, they'll say, you know what? It's been a hard journey, but God's been there every step along the way. Because they're claiming those promises of God. That promise of God is what's keeping their heads above water. It's our safe place to go to. Amen. Three years ago in uh, Alabama, there was a, a, a really bad tornado that took 22 lives. And uh, when they were going through the area that that was, was hardest hit, 
they, uh, one, one of the rescue workers came across this house. Throw this picture up on the screen for me. This was all that was left of one of the homes. Uh, the entire home had been wiped away except this one little room that was a closet. I just thought this was so wild. And this closet, throw that next picture up on the screen. This closet in the home, this was grandma's prayer closet. The family ran to that room and hunkered themselves in. And you know what? They survived. I thought, how cool is it that when this family who was going through this difficult place, of all the places they could have gone, they didn't have a shelter, they didn't have a, a basement, they, they, ran, they ran to the prayer closet where grandma had been claiming the promises of God over and over ago, and that place was their armor and protection. I love Jason, who was the guy who was the rescue worker who came through on the response team, and he had posted these pictures on Facebook, and here's what he said. He says, listen to me, folks, please. He goes, I just left a family who survived the tornado in this house, and and the only thing left standing was this closet. It's the grandma's prayer closet. And the whole family survived. Are you kidding me? My God is awesome. Somebody shout. <laughs> I love that. Amen. Amen. Promises of God are a place to stand. Let me give you one more. Stand on the rock of God's people. Stand on the rock of God's people. Now, this one's a little harder for some of us. Now, look at me. God gave us one another for a reason. From the very beginning, he said, it's not good to be alone. God created us to live in community. You know why? So that when I need you, you'll be there for me. And so when you need me, I'll be here for you. And I think sometimes we find it hard to let people in. And a part of that is our pride. And a part of that, quite frankly, I believe is the enemy trying to keep us isolated and alone. But over and over again, God's word tells us that this is how we're supposed to live. I love what Paul said in Galatians 6 2. Read it out loud with me. He says, share each other's burdens. How can I share in your burden if you don't let me know what that burden is and how can you share in mine? Over and over again, I hear people talking about they're walking through places and, and, and they're all alone. Look at me. I want you to hear my heart. You are only alone if you choose to be alone. You're only alone if you choose to be alone because you have a family here. You have people here who would be more than happy to walk with you through whatever you're going through. But we can't read your mind. You got to share it with us. Amen? You know, sometimes I think nature is just a lot smarter than us. Um, some of you may have seen pictures like this. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. Anybody know what that is? That's a bunch of ants. That's a whole bunch of fire ants. You know how fire ants survive a flood? Instead of all scattering in their own direction, saying it's every man for themselves, they come together. They cling to each other. And as they cling to each other, you know what happens? Their combined bodies form a raft. And they float on top of the water 
until they find some dry ground to rebuild their home. I thought, dear God, make us as smart as an ant. Amen? Make us as smart as an ant. So that instead of trying to say, I've got to do this all on my own, we will cling to each other until the flood passes by. I want to, I want to do something this morning a little different. We haven't done this in a long time. And I'm just one of those guys that believe COVID has just kept us so far apart. But here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to come down to the floor. And for those of you who you're just walking through some tough places, I'm going to invite you to come and join me for prayer. Rachel's going to lead us in a song, and it's a song that says, you are not alone. And while we sing that, if you're, if you're walking through a tough place, if you've been dealing with discouragement in your own life, or, or maybe this morning you're walking with someone who's going through some, some difficult stuff and you want to stand in the gap for them, that's okay too. But here's what I want us to do. I want you to come and we're just going to hold hands right here at the front. And we're going to stretch the line as far across as it needs to go. And after we sing this song, I want to pray. And I want to ask God to meet us here to lift the cloud of discouragement from our hearts and remind us today he is still on the throne of our lives. He is still the God who is large and in charge. Amen. And if you would like to join us, you feel free. Slip out and go ahead and come while we're singing this song and I'll pray together. Go ahead and come. And Lord, we claim that promise today that no matter where we're at or what we're walking through, we're not alone. That we have a God who walks with us. Even when we go through the valley of a shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid because you are with us. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've given us the presence of your Holy Spirit. We're so thankful that you've given us your word that is filled with so many promises. And we're so thankful, God, that you've given us people in our lives who share that spirit, people who can stand with us, people who can hold us when we cry, weep with us, Lord, when we're down, people who can speak truth into our lives and rejoice with us when the answers come. Father, today as we hold hands here at the front, you know what's going on in every person's life. You know the, the, the discouragement that they're dealing with or the person that they're walking with and what they're facing. Lord, you know every person sitting in the pew and what's going on with them and every person who's watching online. Lord, what I know is that the enemy wants to take the hard things of life and the discouraging moments that come, and he wants to make a grave out of them. Well, Lord, we claim the resurrected life. We claim that you are the God who can roll the stone away and we can come out of that grave. So, Lord, I pray today that you would breathe a fresh new breath of life into each and every person. I pray that the, the cloud would lift and that the joy would return. I pray, Father, that you would put the, uh, the, the answer in our hearts, and I pray that you would set Jesus before our eyes. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that we are not overcome by the world. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So, Lord, today... We stand together, reclaiming the promise that we will win over discouragement. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray and claim it. 
And all God's people said, amen and amen.